should write a book, Fry. People need to know about the can eat more. I'm getting this book on UFOs. Did you know they're real? But there's a huge comic conspiracy to cover it up. Oh, that's just a paranoid fantasy. I want to be a book. She can pick me up, flip through my pages, make sure nobody drew wieners in me. And welcome to the Grandmother's Book Club Podcast, where we read them so you don't have to. Because the strike is over and we're back like we never left. My name is Kevin and I'm joined as always by my co-host Benedict, who... Oh, wait, he's gone again. Benedict! Wow, total silence. I'm doing the bit. Total I've gone. Si- <laughs> really I'm committing back now. to a bit. I'd gone away. I, the, no, I was never here. And then I was, and then I wasn't. I'm Benedict like the Scarlet Pimpernel the coming United in and out. United Auto Workers now, just so he can say he's on strike. <laughs> no, just so I can say I'm a scab. <laughs> Working while everyone else is on strike. Benedict, do you have a bathtub? Yeah. Okay, so I, I know the bathtub at your old place way too small for a human being to actually take yeah this one's a bit bigger um i just like there's something about like city bathtubs Mm -hmm. that i just can't like i've seen too many videos of like antennae protruding from like the various plugs that i'm like (laughs) i can't sit in that like i simply i will not and cannot sit in like that because also like my apartment has had like no roaches but you know those like house centipedes no You've never seen a house centipede? No, I haven't. And I live in a building that's probably like, close to as old as yours. For the podcast listeners, they're about this long. <laughs> <laughs> I'm holding my fingers up to the camera. They're probably about two inches long, three I, I'd inches I'd say maybe? that is about yay big. It's about yeah, yay. About, about yay big. Uh-huh. Anyway, they're too big to be like, oh, that's a bug. I'll just, you know, they're like, oh, that's like, that, uh-huh. it's like a bug you have to gear yourself up to you fight. Have, yeah, I know. You, it's you like a bug to, way. It, it's the level of bug where you're like, for you. yeah, it's the level where you're like, do I need to move out? Like it's that <laughs> level of bug, right? It's like a, it's like a water bug size problem. E. Um. So anyway, I we've had a couple of those. So therefore any like vulnerable position of me lying naked somewhere <laughs> like if i'm in the shower it's fine because i can react i can be like oh i'm going i'm out uh-huh. if i try and hurriedly get up out the bath oh, i might die yeah, yeah I, or i might fall and die so <laughs> like you know there, there's just there are mitigating circumstances this has gone off the rails what was your question it was do you have a bath i mean it was oh, going to okay. turn into something else but yeah, you know yeah. what now we're just talking about baths so I'm no fine no okay no no tell me tell me what the actual well, question, question was going to be the question was gonna be it was intended to be when you start a bath Mm. do you turn the water on and wait before you get in or do you get in or do you turn the water on and just get in and wait for it to fill i i wait until there's a minimum level of coverage okay and i think you know what i'm talking about without me spelling it out (laughs) i think i know what you're talking about i like my i like my toes to be covered (laughs) So I have a giant bathtub at the new place. <laughs> it's nice. it's big enough for me to sit in and extend my legs all the way. Wow, okay. It has like a nice reclined backrest. It's nice. great. It's perfect. But so I've been taking more baths now. And I got in the, uh, the other day. I was just like, I'm going to take a bath. And so I started the water and I'm like, I have literally nothing to do. 
There's nothing to distract Yeah, that's the problem with. with a big bath. It's just like, this is going to take an hour to fill. <laughs> it's like, okay, I'm just going to get in and sit there and wait for it to fill. So that's what I did. And it was Imagine, very weird. It was very, cap- very weird. Captain's hat with a submarine just <laughs> waiting for the <laughs> Just waiting for there to be enough water that you can play with the submarine. Because otherwise it's, <laughs> it's vulnerable well, yeah, I mean, to attack from the British Navy. It doesn't make exactly. any sense that the submarine can't go underwater. <laughs> oh god, okay. Well, Benedict, you probably know. I'm I you can tell by my energy that I brought to the podcast that I am like a weird level of tire. Oh, he's nice. Like, and, <laughs> yeah, yeah. He got real fucked up from his flights. Yeah. Uh you probably know what it is that we do here on this program. Other folks, folks who um don't love baths. Sit in a dry bathtub Ooh, for some no, reason. You gotta get some some that Trumbo motherfucker. Well, he doesn't want, I don't know. I, I barely remember that movie. They might not know what it is that we do here on this program. But they might would say, this is the show where we go deep, 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 to plumb the depths of right-wing thought by reviewing a chapter from work of conservative literature, and in between taking a look at other examples of the right, doing their best to make America hate again. Better start us off. Do you have a hot... Hey, bleh, stumbling over my words already. <laughs> So what happens every time we take a week off because you're out on vacation? <laughs> you're like, ah, I come back and I'm like, how do, how do I talk again? How do I yeah. do this? Do you have a hot take for us this week? Uh, yeah. So a couple of things. First of all, just from our previous conversation, I would love to be like, so, you know, Marat. Do yes. you know who Marat is? Yeah, yeah. Uh, famous for being murdered and also being an incendiary French Revolution journalist. Other thing he's famous for, working from the bath. Like, absolutely. <laughs> like, And also dying in the bath because he worked in the bath and someone came and assassinated him in the bath. Just I think, like, uh, God, what was our president that they always say had to get a bigger bathtub? Taft. Taft. Yeah, yeah. It was a Taft think, joke that didn't land because I couldn't remember his name. That's a really cool way to live and die in the bath. <laughs> Life um, and death in the bath. <laughs> to live and die in the bath. Like it was the precursor to Tupac's to live and die in yeah. <laughs> <laughs> My actual hot take, that was just what stemmed from our conversation. Hot take actually is uh, God bless people that hold companies to account. And sometimes it's governments, which is great. Oh, are we going back uh, to uh, Unity and how they reversed on their bullshit? Because no, of, I'm actually, sure because of what I said on this yeah, show about them. No, yeah, I think you did that, and I think we should all thank you. And, yes, uh, thank you very much. And, and you know, there's a the <laughs> there's a grandeur to your statements this week. <laughs> um, but no, I my flight was delayed coming back basically. Uh-huh. Um, and if your flight lands more than three hours late, yeah, don't, coming don't out of Ryan Europe, Air, man, don't fly no, Ryanair. No, but if you're, you're <laughs> no, well, that's true. If your flight lands more than three hours late coming out of Europe, they just have to give you money back. That's the law. Oh, that's great. That's not a thing that happens in the US. And I was like, wow, you can even make American companies do that? And the EU was like, yeah, fuck yeah. Well, I mean, there are requirements for what airlines have to do if your flight is delayed X long or whatever or something like that. But But uh, it's not as good as what the EU does. At check-in, they gave me like, these are your rights within like EU law. So like, these are all the steps you can take to request a refund. And then, yep, yeah, we it's need that here. Fucking cool. Yeah, I know. It's like all the like AI stuff that's happening, and the EU's like fuck absolutely ninety percent of that, and America's like ah, oh, we'll see what happens. It's so like honestly, like the EU, not perfect, obviously, but so much better consumer protection. It is insane. Yeah, it is a level we cannot comprehend in the United yep. States, just on another level. 
Yeah. Anyway, hot take from you. My hot take this week, Benedict. Uh, it should be harder to publish a book. Uh, mm, debatable. I might self-publish one day. Let's see. <laughs> well, this is me reflecting mainly on books <laughs> on that all we the read. books we read. Look, yeah. Over the weekend, I went through my bookshelf and I'm like, oh, okay, no. I'm behind on my reading. I have a lot of right-wing shit that I haven't read lately. I need to pull some out and start going through them. I pulled a couple out. I'm just like, what? Why? Why did anyone put this on a page? Why did anyone allow someone to put That's this on a page? It doesn't a make question. sense. No. Yeah. So it should just be a little harder. That's all I'm saying. Okay, uh, fair enough. I can see that. I'm just saying that I should be the czar of books. So what you're shit. saying is we should censor our political enemies and maybe also destroy them politically. Look, so uh, I'm, I'm just saying that maybe the Soviet Union was correct when it rolled those tanks. It, never mind. Mm. We'll move on. Uh, <laughs> Kevin has gone full tanky, folks. Yes, tanky, Joe. Oh, <laughs> uh, anyways, Benedict, on to housekeeping this week. Remember to rate and review us on the iTunes. Follow us on the social medias at NYGBC Pod on Twitter and at NYGBC Ben. People uh, keep giving us one star on iTunes. It's really annoying because our average you know rating is happens, just not going. Ha- I've noticed it happens most often. Every time we do something. An episode where that's I that's like a, a little more crossover. Yeah, because yeah. I think people are searching for names of people they like, and then we talk about those people they like, and they realize they clicked on the wrong shoe. <laughs> yeah, they look. Everybody's welcome, mm-hmm. but so- some are more welcome than others. <laughs> Four legs good to the what is it? Uh, anyways, Benedict. Uh, updates, updates. Uh, on the patron only, I mentioned uh, not remembering uh, the book Leviathan. Mm, uh, and I hops. feel like some people took that as me not taking college seriously. And what really I Who, want to okay. clarify. No, I, no, 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 no. I, it is about on. me not Who, taking Leviathan seriously. That's fine. Because it shouldn't be. Who is, where are these people messaging you? Because I have access to our Patreon page and <laughs> our tweets. Like, who is like, hey, I heard you on talk, shit talking Hobbs. Like, who, where there are you are getting these messages? There are people who text me. There are people who message me on Facebook. There are other people. Gotcha. Uh, they end up in the mix. Uh, I also, I don't want to, because two weeks worth of updates here. Hey, like, uh, I messed up my explanation of uh, video game publishers, developers, and marketplaces when I called uh, Valve a publisher, which mm. technically they are. Uh, but talking about Steam, I meant Marketplace. Steam is the uh, monopolistic marketplace for computer games. That is just what it is. That's how it is. It's a whole conversation we don't need to have since Unity reversed on their bullshit anyways. So I just wanted to clarify that I got that wrong. Yeah, uh, also, uh, yelling at people works, which is cool. Yeah, yeah that, it really does, I, I had given up on that, but also, like, both Drew Barrymore and Bill Maher were like, yeah, we're bringing our shows back, and we fuckers. were like, no, you're fucking not, and they were like, yeah. no, we're fucking not. Honestly, they could have waited a fucking week, and they wouldn't know, have had to go through that. Those well, that's what, I mean, Bill Maher did that. He did, like, the backsliding. Oh, like, I didn't realize talks were actually progressing. Shut the fuck mm-hmm. up. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Bill Maher, he's a fucking conservative comedian anyways. Yeah. Uh, Is he on the show? No, he's not included in today. <laughs> he might be the only funny conservative comedian. Uh, he wouldn't call himself conservative, obviously, but uh, we all know. Anyways, uh, only other update. I forgot to link to Molly Conger's website in the last episode. Um, I updated the show notes uh, earlier today, uh, so it should be in there if you go download that episode now. Uh, and I'm also going to drop into this week's show notes for whoever wanted it. <clears throat> Benedict, we yes. have two new inductees into the Spooky Two new inductees. Uh, yes, two new patrons, as a matter yeah. of fact. 
uh, I think, who were delighted by you being out of the country and decided mm. to join. So this week, Benedict, we have to induct Jamie Fritz. You are now part of our New World Spooky World Order Blood. Come on, you got to get it deeper in the throat. You gotta okay, eat. let me try again for this <laughs> <next> one. <laughs> <laughs> and, Benedict, we also have to induct Dan L. Dan L., you are now part of our New World. <laughs> New World Spooky World Order, bleh. Okay, I'll go ahead and put the clip back in the computer. I'll get it done. I'll no! get it done, I promise. It's fine. Uh, if you would like to join the Spooky World New World Order, bleh, of course, you can tweet or post about the show on social media, recommend it to others, and send me a screenshot or tag us in it. Leave us a five-star review wherever you can. Drop me a screenshot to let me know. Make a donation to a worthwhile charity. I can't talk. Make a donation yeah, to exactly. a worthwhile charity. You can't fucking come at me for my things when it's you <laughs> fucking up left, right, and center. Become a patron or... Just get my attention with something good. And with all that out of the way, Benedict, it is time to finally do the conservative comedy episode. I I'm going to make you split this episode into two. I promise yeah, you. Yeah, you're going to fail on that. Uh, yeah, that not. I have been promising. I'm just going to refuse to record. Five years now. Yeah, well, <laughs> you're going to if you keep talking, it's going to go longer. And I know uh, in the beginning of that Crowder episode, we talked about uh, a bunch about just sort of like what is comedy, what is humor, and rambled a bit. But I think, uh, and I'm probably wrong, uh, that now I've gotten my mind in order on the topic. And this episode hopefully should make sense. I hope. Cool, because I'm going to make as little sense as I did last time. So. <laughs> so, big content warning here up front. We're going to be playing a bunch of bits of right-wing comedy full of just... <laughs> All the bigotries what of if, all the various what if, kinds. What if uh-huh. we didn't do that? Well, uh, you know, mm, not going to happen. Okay. Um, you have to try. It's illustrative. Thank you okay. very much. Uh, this is why I give content warnings. Sure. Uh, I tried to limit uh, like the use of slurs for trans people as much as I could in the clips. I think there might only be one use of it um, in the clips that we're doing. It's cool. just, it's literally, it, it's... We talk about the one joke. It's the one joke. Like, okay. the one joke is not I identify as. The one joke is is shitting on trans people. Like, the in a broader sense, that's the one joke okay. that conservatives have. Uh, it's just so hard to avoid in any of their bullshit. Mm-hmm. But, uh, And I also do want to recognize that I, of course, stole the uh, episode title for this episode from the book That's Not Funny. Uh, by Matt Sinkowitz and Nick Marks, uh, who are two communications professors. Um, I liked the book. I disagree with them on some points, but I learned a lot reading it. And also, uh, just as an obvious point, there is no way in an hour-ish long podcast to cover all the right-wing comedians or even anywhere close to all of them. So, Because <clears throat> uh, it would actually episode. take 10 minutes because there aren't any. <laughs> most of today's episode was me picking and choosing ones that I thought fit into uh, the themes I was trying to express. So we're not going to do like Jim Brewer's weird screaming parrot COVID set, for example. Okay. Um, even though, boy, that might be one of the least funny things I've ever seen. I think this is going to be so far off the deep end for me. Like I have a vague awareness of this stuff, but I think this is like, cause I, well, you, that string of words that you said... And I consider myself vaguely aware of all of <laughs> these things. You're vaguely online, yeah. I have no idea what you're talking about. So, it, oh god, I'll play it for you when we get done. Okay. I, uh, you'll you'll be like, "What the fuck? This is supposed to be comedy? What is this? It's really mm. weird." Um, we're also incidentally also what people say about this podcast. <laughs> they are correct about us, though. <laughs> 
uh, and we're also not going to be doing Dave Rubin today because Aww, he's going to get, get his own episode eventually. Okay. There's just no other way to deal with Dave Rubin other than... Also, we're doing Dave own. on the Patreon episode, so go check out the Patreon episode. Oh, that's right. Dave. I yeah. forgot. Yeah, he's doing yeah. that uh, book. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so go check we're, that out. <laughs> if you didn't see the Patreon episode last week, was uh, we did the 1984 uh, book club with... Uh, Michael Knowles and Michael Dave knows and Dave Talking Rubin. about ideas. 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 The idea is 1984 is now. <laughs> Literally, that's their claim. That's it. We're that's living in 1984 because yep. they're dumb dumbs. Yep. So <clears throat> I want to start off first talking about comedy more generally and to begin with okay. what makes something funny. And okay. uh, I looked into like what is the science around comedy and humor. And basically what I find is scientists don't really have a fucking clue what makes things funny or why we laugh at them. Um, there's an interesting Scientific American article I read uh, summarizing sort of the state of the research. It'll be posted in the show notes. But basically, mm -hmm. there's a couple of theories about humor. And one is sort of that humor is an evolutionary trait that helped bring humans closer together, um, which is more on the sort of why funny side rather than the how funny side. This is big. Webster's Dictionary defines humor as energy. <laughs> uh, and, and Evo Psych is mostly bullshit to begin with, right? See okay. Peterson, Jordan. Um, another theory is that humor comes from laughing at the misfortunes of others, and it's an expression <laughs> of the feeling of superiority, which would explain a lot of Benedict's laughter. It really would. That's good. And I'd say that that rings true in some respect, particularly with a lot of the folks we're talking about today. But it seems more, you know, more likely to me that that's just one aspect of humor, one that's maybe more prevalent on the right. Uh, and then you got, like, Sigmund Freud's theory about release of pent-up energy, and Freud was wrong about most things. Um, and another is the theory of incongruity, that the juxtaposition of incompatible concepts and defiance of expectations, which is how they wrote it, uh, creates humor. And I think that's probably closest to what I think, I think humor is as I experience it. I, well, I think it's a few things. That, that That's definitely correct in a way of it. I think there's also... Uh, one thing you haven't said which is kind of like shared experiences and like you know like in jokes and nostalgia and like oh we're gonna you know you know when you see your friends and you laugh about the same things that you laugh about every time you see them mm -hmm. and it, you know it's like it's it's that like it's a bonding experience as well i would say and yeah, obviously so, oh, not definitely. a fucking scientist but you know definitely that's just there my... is a bonding element to it um and and i can say with a lot of the comedy we're going to view today part of it is about creating an in-group and an out-group yep defining in-groups and out-groups is a huge part of this uh activist right-wing comedy which is is seriously unfunny mm -hmm. so uh but it, <clears throat> i believe about comedy that there is no objective standard of humor all humor is subjective because your relationship to the material depends on your understanding of it. Like if uh, someone was to do a bit about yachting that required knowledge of sails and boat stuff, mm. that might be funny to people who understand boat stuff, but not so much to me. I probably wouldn't get the joke. Yeah, I, I, it's, it's subjective, but it's also so contextual. Like something can be yes. funny in one situation and not funny at all in another situation. It can be the same string of words said in the same cadence. Right. And it can literally even just be like the people that you're with that make something funny. Telling a very funny joke at Auschwitz might not be funny in that context. Yep. Yeah, That's might correct. not work out, right? <laughs> 
and like you said, another aspect of it is is a shared understanding. Understanding yep. what is good or bad can shift the experience of comedy on a basic level. For example, mm-hmm. um, if you think that getting a B on a test is good versus someone who thinks that getting an A on a test is good and a B is bad, there's mm-hmm. a disconnect that might make you not get jokes about Bs on tests being bad. And, of course, we could take that to a real-world example where if you think LGBTQ plus people are good or at least neutral people just existing and not an existential threat to humanity, you won't get 90% of right-wing humor because that is what most of it is. Can I ask you a question? Yes. I know I just did. How often, and you may not you know the answer to this, but how often do you think about the Roman Empire? No, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> I love that that blew up on TikTok. Uh, That's so great. How how often do you Benedict, Benedict every five minutes? Okay, that's actually my answer, which is <laughs> not, probably not surprising. Um, how often do you laugh completely alone? Completely alone, uh, yeah. all the time. Really? All the like time. out loud. Like laughing. like okay, so like like listening to comedy or watching comedy and stuff all the time. Yeah, like just walking around and something funny happens in my own mind. Not so much, but yeah. Alone in my apartment? I laugh out loud all the time. So, here's the thing for me. I find that I don't laugh out loud at stand-up comedy unless I'm surrounded by other people, really. Mm -hmm. But I do laugh at podcasts. And I don't know why. It's because you're broken, Ben. (laughs) (laughs) No, but, like, if it's, like, two comedians on a podcast, like, I I will often laugh out loud at that. Uh-huh. If I find that, but I think it's maybe God, because you feel like. How many hours like, of Burt Kresher have you watched? No, actually not that. I knew you were going to say that and it's not that. Um, but they are funny, like sometimes. Yeah, they're not um, But like, I think it's because you f- maybe feel like you're part of a conversation when it's when it's a, cons- a conversational podcast like that. I don't know. Maybe, let us know. Do you laugh <laughs> along when, when we read Steven Seagal? Do you feel. <laughs> like and subscribe. Hit the bell. <laughs> that shit yeah. but like other people laughing makes you laugh naturally right that, that's oh no a, no yeah that's, that's a... definitely a thing that's definitely a thing I that's why they that. put laugh tracks on sitcoms when they weren't yeah. funny for me um, i just like i i'm just not ashamed to laugh uh aloud alone. i'm not ashamed i just don't think it's something that like my body naturally does i don't know why i don't I'm know not... yeah anyway carry on i can't explain it um and i so i do want to note that in evaluating whether something is funny you sort of have to put aside morality because of the subjectivity issue, right? Um, right-wing anti-trans humor, which is like the bulk of so much of their stuff, is objectively immoral. Mm. But it's not objectively not funny because to a certain group it might be subjectively funny, right? It's not funny to me, but there is a group who are sitting there in a room paying to see two-bit hacks do this shitty material. Yeah. But you're saying that nothing is objjectively funny then either. That is what I'm saying. I don't believe in an objective humor. Yeah, exactly. That so that's what I, I, I'm saying. You humor. can't. You, yeah. You, basically, whenever you say something's not funny, what your 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 thesis is, whenever you say that's funny or that's not funny, the unspoken part is to me. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. That's that's what it is. Yeah. Um, and there have been several studies claiming that conservatives lack a sense of humor. Um, I. <laughs> <laughs> the fact that Matt gets the biggest laugh out of you yet. It's great. That's such a funny study to find. <laughs> These motherfuckers find anything funny. See, I, I have some problems with those studies, given no, my I position. Know. I can just but, imagine the Onion funding yeah. that study. There. <laughs> just <laughs> Well, one of them, for example, in 2009, 
uh, it came out in 2009, so it must have probably been done, you know, 2008, 2009-ish, had conservatives watch Stephen Colbert, who was doing the Colbert Report at the time, and, and found that they did not find him funny, and they took him seriously. And I'm just like, that's a bad, that's a bad study design. That's yeah. not... And they're like, they're like, compare, well, liberals saw his jokes as funny, and cons- uh, conservatives, um, they all thought that he truly believed the things he was saying and that he wasn't and, – and I get that because let me tell you, and this is a weird thing to admit, when my older brother and I were children, we were both raised in a conservative household, all, my younger brother as well. He and I both could not figure out whether Stephen Colbert was doing an act or whether he was a conservative. We did not know. Now, that's a child's brain. A teenager's, mm. I think we were, you know, 13, 14. But the fact that we couldn't figure it out, and apparently conservatives also can't figure it out, th- that might be a problem. Yep. It might be a problem. There's something wrong there. He was doing a parody of Bill O'Reilly, but, like, come on, people. Come on. It's ridiculous. <laughs> so I don't know how I feel about those studies, um, I'm not going to put much weight on them as far as, as my analysis of all this. So for those who didn't listen to the Crowder episode, uh, and just for sake of completeness, I think up front we have to, again, sort of define what it is we're talking about when we say the right isn't funny. We're not talking about people who are conservative and, com- and comedians, right? That's too broad of a net. There are people like Ron White or Bill Maher who are funny people. Um, even that Shane Gillis guy who got kicked off of uh, SNL for his racist comments in the past, um, he had some funny sketches on YouTube that I ran across at one point. I could, like, there, like the only one that I remember is like a, a God, what was it? OnlyFans dad, uh, a funny video. But like, they can be funny and also be conservative. And Shane Gillis is a piece of shit too. Also Bill Maher, but that's not what we're talking about. Um, there, there are, I will say, it seems a smaller number of comedians who are conservative. And that seems to be the case, I think, mainly because of, like, cultural issues. So, you know, people like Patton Oswalt, David Cross, Amy Schumer, Sarah Silverman, right? They're all known for their outspoken left political views. Mm -hmm. And they all came up in the same environment, working comedy clubs, constantly broke, making it up from the bottom. And when that's the life you live, you may be drawn to the side of the spectrum that says, hey— Maybe it would be nice if I didn't have to starve to do this. Then might explain why a lot of them end up on the left. That could make a little bit of sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and you also, when you're doing stuff like that, come into a contact with a wider variety of people from a lot of different backgrounds, other comedians, staff, audiences, whoever. And that tends to wear away at overt prejudices or at least wear the edges down over time. Uh, so what we're really talking about today are conservative comedians, not comedians who are conservatives. That's mm-hmm. not what we're talking about. What we're really talking about is people who uh, put the conservatism, the politics, first. And yep. I mean it broadly so as to include, like, Babylon Bee writers and whoever, mm-hmm. not just stand-up comedians. People who put today's version of republicanism before their comedy. And I thought we could start off with a clip to ease us in with a shining example of just that, uh, everyone, uh, give a round of applause for the guy coming to the stage right now, Nicholas DeSanto. You don't, you're not clapping. No, we'll see. <laughs> Are you even going to tip your waiter, Benedict? No. You guys believe in climate change? No. Oh, Mainstream media tell us that climate change is real. 
but they also tell us that Islam is the religion of peace. So I don't know what to believe. Pause yeah, it. Yeah, it's great okay. comedy, isn't it? When, <laughs> when was this released? Uh, one month ago. Fuck off. One month ago. This is like 2015 material. Okay, so this is, uh, uh, I like, I, I didn't know who the fuck this guy was until I started looking into this conservative comedy thing. And I, I like saw some clips of him stuck places and I was like, okay, there's, this is just some dude doing a lot of self-promotion. There's no way that anyone thinks that this guy is funny. And then I started looking into him. This video that we're, we're watching right now is titled Right Wing Comedy Jokes Compilation, Parenthetical Not New Material, Nicholas DeSanto. It has 300,000 views. Nope. Another one of his videos that's like 15 minutes, and he just titled like uh, uh, Anti-Abortion Comedy in London, has close to a million views. Cool. Awesome. And you'll hear how fucking unfunny this guy is. Of course, strong independent women hate Donald Trump because his policies mean that they will ultimately have to pay for birth control. And if there's anything a strong independent woman really hates, it's to pay for her own stuff. <laughs> the U.S., uh, you know, it's, it's... By the way, it, these are like different sets all cut. Uh, in, like one joke is from one set, another joke is from another set. So it's all just, just put together like that. It's a big problem for casual sex because in these blue states, uh, uh, a lot of single women are angry. They're like, oh, I, are you telling me that tonight when I go clubbing, I need to find somebody who could potentially step up to the situation and take care of me and the baby if the baby comes up? Are you telling me that tonight when I go clubbing before I open my legs for this total stranger, I need to first ascertain that he is responsible and kind? Thank you very much, Supreme Court. Thanks. Even they didn't laugh at that. Why are you not laughing, Benedict? Even his fucking people didn't laugh at that. For nothing. Oh, an ad. A fucking ad. How dare you do this to me, YouTube? Every goddamn time. I can never escape. No, I don't need another Chromebook. It's the <laughs> shitty Chromebook I'm running this on that is barely able to handle these fucking videos. Maybe you do need another Chromebook. I might need another <laughs> Chromebook. That might be a <laughs> Oh, now we get a Taco Bell ad. Great. Great. I thought it was going to be one ad and done. No. All right. I like that other podcasts have ads that the hosts read, and we just play the ones <laughs> that appear on YouTube. As it turns out, we do have ads on the show. <laughs> We just don't make Christian anything from them. And talk crap about Christianity, and nothing happens to them. <laughs> it's just incredible. It doesn't sound right, right? It doesn't, doesn't happen the other way around anywhere in the world, right? It's, it's almost as if Christianity is a religion of peace. <laughs> but we can't say that, obviously, because those other guys have already claimed it. <laughs> it's a patent pending situation. <laughs> Oh, you chuckled! You chuckled! My first... Okay, yeah, that's fine. Yeah, This guy is hilariously I think it's just because I find the the double alliteration of P funny, normally. (laughs) Patent pending is just a funny phrase, I think. (laughs) It is. So that is uh, Nicholas DeSanto. That's what I'm talking about. Uh, And and he could be on a compilation album of Now That's What I Call Putting Politics Before Humor. Uh... And lest you think I just pulled out some racist Italian child and put him on a show, because that is definitely what he, th- he, ta- he sounds like. That guy has uh, 40,000 subscribers on YouTube. 
Uh, he's been all over the internet. He has been on the podcast Trigonometry, which okay. is hosted by hosted by Constantine Kissin, uh, a British guy born in Moscow who's also had the likes of Matt Walsh, Carl Benjamin, Nigel Farage, Brett Weinstein, Jordan Peterson, just a rundown of all the awfuls on his show. That is, he is, I will say, based on what I can tell, the most up-and-coming right-wing comedian today. Cool. And he sucks. Like, literally the the bit I just cut off, because we don't need to hear any more of that, is just him going like, Shitting on Muslims by being like, oh, yes, we went to the patent office and patented religion of peace and also truck bomb and also driving car into Christmas market. And like, just, okay, you just want to shit on Muslims? Mm -hmm. Go on Bill Maher's show. He'll make it funny somehow. But that's what that is. It's very strange. It's so fucking strange, man. Um, And I also, to warm us up today, want to also play a bit Um, that I have talked about before, and I just, I want to play it because I want people to know I am not making it up. It is from a comedian named Rodney Carrington, uh, who is a a self-styled southern country comedian, and boy, it's bad. Stopped off on the way up there at some Japanese, Chinese, fuck, they all look alike restaurants. This is the opening track on his album. The opening track for this set that he did in 2000 is this. Some place called Poontang. You been there? (laughs) Shit, I liked it. (laughs) Hell, I ordered it. (laughs) You want Poontang? Good choice, cowboy. It's one of them places where they come out and cook in front of you, you know? Ah, cha-cha-cha-cha-cha. The problem was some jackass. Shane Gillis loves him, I'm sure. Yeah, Billy, like me, he showed up to cook. What the fuck happened here? Did Shane Lee get sick? What are you doing out here? You don't want to go to Disney World and have Chuck E. Cheese filling in for Mickey Mouse. You want the real shit. I want a Japanese guy. Guy that comes out, ah, throws a knife, kills the guy next to him. He don't walk here no more. Well, no shit, Kung Fu. You just killed the son of a bitch. I think we ought to have restaurants over in Japan where we cook in front of them our way, you know? Four lawn chairs, a grill. Some big old cowboy cooking. What's it gonna be, chinky hot dog or a hamburger? <laughs> I don't think all the, the screaming is warranted. Yeah, he then finishes that off by just doing a literal minute of, of Ching Chong Bing Bong. Uh, Chinese accent, and I believe he ends it by saying Chinese people just exist for me to make fun of. Um, Apart from the racist bits, it's okay. Which was 95%. (laughs) 5% of it, fine. The one joke about us going over to Japan and having restaurants where we cook our way, that's a fine premise. That's the only one that wasn't racist inherently. Uh, Yeah. But I wanted people to understand that Where I wasn't we're lying. From. Yep. I brought that bit up a number of times, and he really does that shit. That was acceptable at some point in this country, and really fucking shouldn't be. He did a movie with Toby Keith. Rodney Carrington did a movie with the country singer Toby Keith called Beer for My Horses. <laughs> I owned that DVD. That sounds right. Yep. Okay. All right. Yep. <laughs> I could see that. 
But I want us to take a, a, a little bit of a trip back in time, right, to get a sort of a sense of conservative comedy. Uh, and, and, you know, the core of conservative comedy, I would say, seems to me to be punching down. That seems to be the one thing that binds all together is punching okay. down. Okay. Uh, performed or delivered comedy has not been traditionally tied to any particular political movement or ideology. Um, Aristophanes in ancient Greece wrote comedies around 100 BCE. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> I literally just put that in there because I wanted to give you a chance to be pretentious. Yeah, I mean, I like Aristophanes. He's, uh, he's the guy who invented the concept of the sex strike in, in comedic works in Lysistrata. They, yep. or the the women were like, yeah, we're not fucking you until you guys make peace. So, uh, and then there's a weird bit where the women, the woman has like a map of the world, like drawn on her naked body, and they divide the world up. It's very odd. Um, Look, man, uh, it's a good time for 400 BCE. Also, can't, wrote can't find much better than that. Around. The frogs, which is also fun. Yeah. Uh, so- uh, there are also ancient Sanskrit writings uh, that discuss and define humor. Right, it goes back as far as humans do. Is the point of yep. that one paragraph that I put into my outline? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, of course, you know things like court jesters uh, in uh, in Europe uh, who you know had to make sure they didn't offend the Lord or risk Sorry, punishment. Sorry, when you said we need to go back a little bit to understand this, I didn't think you were, we're going to go back to forward very quickly. Trust BC. me. We're jumping forward very quickly with the next sentence uh, that I had in the U.S. Benedict. I uh, like that you write these like, and then don't share them with me and then get mad no, when I'm I like, what the to... fuck have you written? Why would I want you to see any of this? Are you, are you like, well, if you let me finish, like, well, if I let you finish, I don't know where it's going. Do so. you really need to see my chicken scratch outline? I uh, don't, but I think you episodes? then can't get mad at me when I question the fucking Fine. premise. Fine. Uh, in the U.S., right, stand-up comedy, as we know, uh, has its roots in minstrel shows and later uh, burlesque and vaudeville. Oh, so it's all racist. Cool. Oh, it, it's the United States. Everything has racist roots. Okay, but, uh, like, stand-up comedy didn't come from the U.S., right? Like, that's not... No, no, but I'm just talking about the roots of U.S. stand-up comedy, gotcha. obviously, because this is the show based in the United States, and that's what we typically we talk about. We have listeners elsewhere. Because we're Don't waiting be on racist. you to write that episode that you've been saying you would Don't do about international racist. fascism, and we're really waiting for you to... That might that be a done. different show. Who knows? Mm, who knows? Oh, your other podcast yeah. that you don't tell me about. Yep. <laughs> uh, written satire, obviously, has a much longer history, going back to, you know, stuff we already talked about, Aristophanes and whatnot. Uh, and we're back know, in ancient Greece. <laughs> just to pick everyone. a few more modern examples, Benedict, Jonathan Swift... Huh? Yes, Whose it is a melancholy object to those. Yep. Fans are also called I'm sorry, that was a good joke. I cut you off. That's my bad. <laughs> Asshole, I'm just going to edit you out and they, when I put the episode <laughs> together so they don't get talked over. <laughs> uh, or somebody like Mark Twain in the United States. But comedy as an independent art form didn't really take off in the United States until, until the creation of the radio. Uh, when mass communications allowed more people to experience it from wherever they were. And then, of course, movies, television, other forms of communication really expanded the way for uh, comedy to uh, create its own path as an independent art form separate from other things that might have come before. So comedy, much like populism, took off because of the radio. Exactly. Uh, there's also, of course, the famous Chitlin Circuit, uh, where African-American performers who otherwise couldn't get booked in white venues could perform, uh, and a number of famous comedians uh, like Moms Mabley, uh, and another, uh, a number of white performers who also did that circuit got their start, like Jack Benny, Bob Hope, Milton Berle, people like that. 
Uh, then in the 50s and 60s, the new wave comedians at the time, inspired sort of by the social rights movement or the counterculture of the 60s, started to bring politics into their acts. And more non-white comedians started to break into the scene. People like Red Fox, Dick Gregory, and Bill Cosby. Uh, but, <clears throat> let's stick to Red Fox. Red Fox yeah, let's do those first two on that list. <laughs> Uh, but jumping forward a bit, uh, in the late 70s, a man named Andrew Clay Silverstein started performing in Brooklyn, New York, uh, doing an act that was mostly impressions, uh, including one which he called the Dice Man, which was oh, based... Oh, okay. So this is Andrew Dice Clay. This is I was Andrew Dice okay, Clay. Okay. Yes, it is. Which was based on the Jerry Lewis character in the original Nutty Professor movie. Uh, and over the time, the impression morphed more into a greaseball Italian character, and eventually it became his entire act, which he started performing under the name of Andrew Dice Clay. Mm. Uh, so Clay's act, for anyone who hasn't seen it, is over-the-top performed misogyny and homophobia, is how I would best describe it. Mm -hmm. and, and funny, also, uh, what is probably his most famous bit, I'm, okay, I should clarify what I meant there. It is funny that what is probably his most famous bit, which is the filthy nursery rhymes, uh, are something he stole from a ventriloquist comedian named Otto Peterson. Okay, uh, people just used to steal each other's jokes all the time. They did a lot like, more often back then. I yeah. mean, like uh, Lenny Bruce, right, and George Carlin with the uh, seven dirty words and whatnot. Uh, yeah, it, it's. I don't know if there was, like, different arrangements back then. I feel like there's a whole lot different uh, uh, feelings well, now. Well, I, I think jokes. it's... Uh, well, I think it's partly because, like, even people's, like, mediocre bits end up online now. Yeah. Um, and, like, it, it's also just... It used to be presumably much harder to be like, I told that joke in a club and Lenny Bruce stole it from me or whatever. <laughs> like, okay, prove it. Whereas now you can, like, you have documentation of your jokes, presumably, and, like, proof of when you wrote them or performed them or whatever. Yeah. So. Uh, so Clay uh, sort of courted anger his entire career. Uh, he was regularly protested by women's and gay rights groups for his content. Uh, when he hosted SNL, Nora Dunn refused to appear with him, and uh, Sinead O'Connor uh, canceled her scheduled appearance. Sinead O'Connor is a fucking legend, by yep, the way. Like was, unfortunately, was. Well, still is. Uh, still, it still is a legend. Yeah, yeah. true. Uh, that was, it was about a year before the Pope photo show when she canceled her appearance because of Andrew Dice Clay. But he was selling out arenas. He was the first comedian to sell out Madison Square Garden two nights in a row. This is kind of a big fucking deal, Jeez, right? Yeah. Right. I mean, we still look back at like the the Black Keys selling out MSG two nights in a row as like the moment that that brand of of music came into the mainstream. Uh, but a comedian, a stand up selling it out two nights in a row, still insane, still fucking mm -hmm. crazy. Um, was he a conservative comedian? I don't know. Clay has said later in his life that it's all an act and he's just heavily committed to a bit. Um, and in everything I've seen of his comedy, the comedy came first. He wasn't playing to a political group. He was playing just to a much more widespread at the time misogyny and homophobia that was just everywhere in public life. Not as much confined to one political movement over the other as it is now. Well, and I mean, yeah, as you say, it's also just like, used to be used to have a much bigger audience right like that's mm -hmm. that was mainstream kind of mainstream comedy when yeah. he was doing it like but the the thing that he did the innovation of his was the punching down yeah um not a whole lot of people were doing that at the time and uh, he tapped into a desire on the part of some group of people for this punching down on vulnerable groups 
It seems to be that's what somebody wanted, and he was there to provide it for them. Um, you know, the, some of his stuff is legitimately funny, right? The dirty nursery rhymes, even though he stole them, still get a laugh because they're kind of fucking funny. Mm-hmm. But the main convention is he brought, like I said, was punching down. He's got this problem. Um, I would call it like the Archer problem or the Always Sunny problem where a certain part of the audience, if he is indeed just doing an act, might get it. They might understand the intent and that the joke is that these people are the shittiest human beings alive, and that's the subversion of expectations and whatnot. That's where that comes from. Uh-huh. But there's a large part of his audience, and the audiences for those two shows, both both of which I like, that don't get that that's the joke. Yeah. They don't understand. I will say, Always Sunny has done 14 seasons or whatever it is on that yeah. premise. So. Exactly. And there's some part of their audience that doesn't get it. They're mad that the blackface episodes aren't available anymore. They're like... Mm, you guys aren't getting it. Yes, that was the joke, was that they are shitty enough to do blackface, yep. but you just want blackface to come back. You don't understand. You're not supposed to want to be like these people. So, question from me then, mm-hmm. to try and prolong the episode so that we can split it into two parts. Not going to happen. <laughs> Where does this fit within the culture of like shock jock comedy? Shock jock is so that's a radio term, obviously. Sure, shock but jock. like how it's done, that this feels like it crosses over with that. Shock jock, I would say, is a bit different, especially if like Howard Stern is the example you're going to look at, because Howard Stern, it was more like you know, porn stars sitting on top of of speakers and you know this and that, that kind of weird shit that's like you don't expect. Um, Dice Andrew Dice Clay, it's not so much the the expectations. Uh, it's not so much just the the out of nowhere weird stuff that's happening. It is the act of punching down. It is the targets he is choosing. You don't think Howard Stern ever punched down? Oh, I'm sure he did. I'm sure he did. We all do. Even as much as we try not to, we punch down all the time. We read a book written by a woman who thinks that she can write romance novels uh, that uh, end that with them she... going to a diner. Is that that's punching down, down buddy? Is huh? it punching down? Why is that punching down? She has Come a book. On. She yeah. has a book. I still feel a little bit bad about that because no. that woman's brain is so melted. No, that's not punching bad. down. That is not punching down. I disagree with that. Okay, fine. What did? What was her Blackwater uh, stand-in? What was it called? Uh, I can't it was remember. Like, uh, Black it was fire like, or something. It was yeah, <laughs> something like that. Gray fire. Or like gray fire. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Dark fire. That's the funniest thing ever. <laughs> Anyways. Uh, so all of this, of course, uh, uh, this wasn't unnoticed by other prominent comedians at the time. Uh, in 1990, uh, George Carlin was on uh, Larry King. Uh, I've seen that interview. About, he hated him. <laughs> yeah, he's not a fan. He spoke about Andrew Dice Clay, and he said, quote, I would defend to the death his right to do everything he does. The thing that I find unusual, and it's, you know, not a criticism so much, but his targets are underdogs. And comedy traditionally is picked on people in power, people who abuse their power. Women's and gays and immigrants are kind of, to my way of thinking, underdogs. And, you know, he ought to be careful because he's Jewish. And a lot of people who want to pick on these kinds of groups, the Jews are on that list. A little further, you've got women, gays, gypsies, and boom, 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 and suddenly you find the Jews. And he went on to say, I think his core audience are young white males who are threatened by these groups. I think a lot of these guys aren't sure of their manhood because that's a problem when you're going through adolescence, you know. Am I really? Could I be? I hope I'm not one of them. 
And the women who assert themselves and are competent are a threat to these men, and so are immigrants in terms of jobs. So for every right-winger who likes to point to Carlin and claim they're just being edgy or that Carlin would hate the wokes, there you are. Not yeah, exactly, Carlin thinks you uh, can say what you want, but it has every right to hate you for it. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. Uh, but I would say that Andrew Dice Clay is a good starting point to pick on where this devolution of right-wing comedy may have originated. A comedian who just got filthy rich and sold out stadiums punching down. There is an audience for it, and mm. somebody was going to come to play to do it for him, and, or maybe many somebodies over the coming years. So then, in the year 2000, the Blue Collar Comedy Tour took to the road, mm. featuring Jeff Foxworthy, Bill I Bill Ingvall, Ron White, and Larry the Cable Guy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, did you, I mean, like, no. I know that was a U.S. thing, but did you even, like, was it a whisper in your ear over in the U.K. at the time uh, that, that existed? I think more uh, Larry the Cable Guy, conceptually, I was aware of. Yeah. He sort but of I had never seen like, any. Mm -hmm. I, and uh, is he the get her done one? Yes, that, he is. That, Yeah, okay. So that, I think, made its way into my psyche somehow. Yeah. It's, it was impossible for a certain point of time. It was impossible to avoid. Yeah. He was like one of the top comedians in the United States for, okay. for a while. And I, I, you know, like I said, I've went back and watched the, the tour video that they put out, right. Which is like a compilation of all a bunch of various stops on one of the tours. Um, and it's not terrible. Like it's not awful. Yeah. It's they're They're obviously four guys who have done comedy their entire life. They have the chops, uh, they know how to write jokes. They have good material. Like, Foxworthy was a well-known comedian by then, right? His first album, You Might Be a Redneck, went triple platinum mm. in 1996. Um, he had a sitcom on Fox for one season. And he was even a guest on Space Ghost Coast to Coast at one point. Just strange okay. to me. Uh, Ingvall, he had a platinum album as well. He'd been on Johnny Carson. Ron White and Larry the Cable Guy uh, were lesser known at the time. But eventually, like... Ron White was lesser known, really? Then, then Foxworthy and Ingvall, definitely, yeah. Okay. But eventually, Larry's act would overshadow the rest, and he became the headliner of their tour by 2006. Um, but the thing that stands out myself, having rewatched that, is that these guys aren't conservative comedians. They appeal to the trappings of modern conservatism, things that culturally we've come to associate with conservatives, like trucks, hunting, fishing, etc. But their acts aren't political, and they're largely, not always, but largely punching laterally. Mm -hmm. The people who are the butt of their jokes are the people sitting there in the audience watching these multimillionaire comedians tr throw jokes at them, right? The, mm -hmm. the Ron White, uh, uh, or not Ron White, uh, Jeff Foxworthy does joke. His whole punchline is, you might be a redneck if. Yep. And those people, those rednecks are the people coming to see him in these shows. Mm -hmm. So it is, in a way, it's punching laterally. And, and I still do not understand. Like, there's casual homophobia and some old man racism type stuff, right? But but Ron White's act does not make sense to me how he got included. No. He has a whole bit about how everyone's a little bit gay because everyone wants to watch porn that has big dicks rather than small dicks. <laughs> I don't know how he ended up on that lineup. I could not fucking tell you. Because he sounds like he's the most Texas man ever. That's why. Maybe that's it. And Tater Salad. It's because all those guys had catchphrases. Yeah. Like, to the point that even, like, there was a Saturday Night Live um, uh, bit that they did a sketch. It was like the kings of catchphrase comedy. 
And it was just like, listen, you got to be memorable. That's why jingles exist. Uh, yeah, sure. Uh, but I think uh, when people call them conservative comedians, they mean generally just those trappings, right? Foxworthy is a clean comic. Three of the four of them, at least, are outspoken Christians. But all of them put the comedy first. They've all pretty much stayed completely out of politics, particularly since 2016 yeah, to now, right? I think, what, didn't Jeff Foxworthy, Foxworthy say some weird stuff? I thought one he, of them went QAnon. Um, no, he said, so uh, Larry the Cable Guy has gotten a little out there on vaccines. Okay. Um, and uh, <laughs> one of them, I don't remember who, like, endorsed Gary Johnson for the 2016 oh, election. But well, the little, other than that, they've done very little politically. Um, so I think my distillation of this, because uh, we haven't really settled on a conservative comedian definition, mm-hmm. there's like comedian... So, what you're saying they are, I, I would call comedians with conservative audiences versus mm-hmm. conservative comedians, which is what we're talking about, where the politics yeah, comes from. Yeah, that might first. be a good way to, to delineate it. That might yeah. be a way to, yeah, exactly. Um, which brings us, Benedict, to Fox News. Uh, Fox has Gutfeld. tried to, <laughs> not quite there yet. Fuck. <laughs> he did other shows first, Benedict. Red uh, Eye. <laughs> which brings us to Fox News, right? So Fox has tried to get into the comedy game multiple times throughout their existence. Um, and on an older episode, we watched all of the half-hour news hour clips that I was able to find on YouTube. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was, of course, a huge flop. But it was nowhere near the end. It wasn't even the beginning of them trying to get into comedy. So in 2004, one of Bill O'Reilly's writers started making appearances on his show for a segment called Water's World, mm. which primarily took the form of man-on-the-street interviews uh, featuring quick-cut inter- you know, uh, pieces of Jesse asking questions of random people on the street and mocking them either implicitly or explicitly with like intercut snippets of movies and TV shows. That was So the biggest- like Daily Show knockoff. Like Daily Show, but Daily Show... I, I have a clip I'm going to play for you okay, right do now. It, just do it. Just uh, do it. Yeah, it's very weird. I'm back in the book segment tonight, Waters World. Some radical students at the University of Missouri angry. Their protest movement has been eclipsed by the ISIS terror attacks in Paris. One tweet says, quote, we can remember... By the way, the sum total That's the of funniest line of the whole bit, I, I bet. The sum total of his evidence that these students are upset that their protest is being eclipsed by the Paris attacks is this one tweet he's going to read right here from somebody. Yeah. Remember the tragedy in Paris and still remember Mizzou. We are capable of multitasking. Both situations are equally messed up. Okay, the use of equally there, not the best choice. Bad writing, yeah. But we are indeed capable of multitasking. That's that true. Is we can hold multiple thoughts in our heads at the same time. <laughs> yeah. So Jesse is going to go to the University of Missouri, of course. Mizzou sure. in Columbia, Missouri, uh, where I've been before. And uh, it doesn't go great. Obviously, there's much madness at the University of Missouri. So we sent Waters Campus craziness. Did LL Cool J license this track? No way. Well, so there are different licensing arrangements for TV and things. So, like, they, they're licensing deals with all the record companies. So the, the individual artist doesn't usually have say in whether yeah, or not yeah, their yeah. music gets to be used or not. Yeah. The mood on campus right now, what is it? It's kind of tense. I mean, it seems like folks are scared. This protest movement, what set it off? 
our student body president called um, the N-word. Grad students having their health insurance taken away. A swastika was painted on somebody's dorm in human feces. Poop swastika. Uh, if that's what you want to call it, sure. Have you guys... Boy, Jesse. Boy, Crushed you're really it. whiffing. You're really whiffing here in your attempt to make these things seem like nothing. Yes, Jesse, poop swastika might be something that leads to some protests. Pretty sure that's a hate cry. <laughs> yeah. You guys experience any problems here? Me personally, no. It was uh, one instance I had, I was walking out of uh, one of my friend's houses and there was a person outside of the house just counting one two three That's disgusting. Yeah. Jesse's Jesse. not getting the material he was hoping no, for. No, he's like, ah, oh, that's, that's bad, actually. Yeah, that's, uh, that's not good. So the intent of this piece, obviously, is to downplay what's happening at the University of Missouri. Unfortunately, he's not doing that well here in, no. a, in that attempt. He's, all these things, by the way, this is 2015, 2016. Uh, a lot of his older stuff I can't find online. Uh, I don't know if it's just been it's wiped been scrubbed, or nuked, wiped. It's something like that. Uh, but so this, all those things that were lit, I think the attempt was there to say, like they did with like, uh, you know, Black Lives Matter or like they did with uh, Occupy Wall Street. Well, none of these people can tell us why this is happening. They all give different reasons. They're just so wacky. And the reality is, is that all of those things that those people talked about were things that happened. And mm -hmm. they all contributed to these protests that took place at the University of Missouri. The, the poop swastika was real. That really happened. The yep. student body president got called the N-word. or call, I forget if they called somebody N-word or got called it. I don't remember. Um, and it ended up with like the football team uh, refusing to play any games until the president of the university resigned, which they eventually did. The protest worked. Good. And th there was some fucking horrible shit. It's Missouri. I live here. This is the only place I've ever lived where multiple gas station attendants have said the N-word in my presence and thought I would be okay with it. White <laughs> gas station attendants, by the way. Yeah. Only fucking place that's ever happened to me. And I lived in D.C., which was actually in the South during the Civil War. <laughs> unlike this fucking state. So, yeah, that's the kind of stuff they did. And after all of these Waters World segments, uh, Jesse would usually join Bill O'Reilly, rapist, for some uh, analysis. In the studio. Uh, yes, uh, in the studio for an exactly a post-game interview where they tried to take what Jesse Waters did—the bullshit man on the street taking snippets out of context—and make it something real, not just a comedy bit, turning it into this is what the left actually is. Okay. And I would I would compare it to what Jordan Klepper does on Comedy Central, uh, on The Daily Show, in that Jordan Klepper is more responsible than that. <laughs> Jordan Klepper is far more responsible than that. He doesn't need to take people out of context. He'll play, like, full minutes of people talking. This is just what the people believe. It's crazy. It's weird. And he's he's been fairly open in interviews about how he doesn't understand how people believe the shit they say it's but anyways that's beyond the point so waters would go on of course to do the infamous chinatown segment which we played before on the show which was basically you know basically that rodney carrington bit yep. <laughs> that's basically what he did in that uh, and then of course he was given tucker mcfuck nuggets primetime slot um which everyone including us has commented on as a bad choice uh -huh. um but i have given it some thought and i recalled 
how much my conservative dad loved Jesse Waters on Fox. Like, he would bring up Jesse Waters, what he had done the night before on O'Reilly in conversation. And that's how much he loved him. And he just that's bring not what that you up want randomly. In an ideal world. Well, I think it's, it is that Fox's core audience really likes Jesse Waters. And I think it's another case of the subjective comedy problem. Mm-hmm. We don't think it's funny. And much of it really isn't. But somebody does. You know, The only person my dad liked on O'Reilly more than Waters was Dennis Miller. Which, speaking of, uh, <laughs> nice transition, huh? <laughs> Perfect. Uh, Dennis Miller started off in stand-up in the 1980s uh, before eventually joining the cast of Saturday Night Live, uh, becoming the weekend update anchor. Uh, in his early career, he generally expressed liberal views, or at least people took it that way. Uh, but according to Miller and a lot of other people, 9-11 caused a pretty big shift in him as an okay. individual. As it did in many weirdos. That is true, uh, and he became one of the celebrities that was backing George Bush and the war on terror. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'll say this for Fox News, right? They continually and constantly uh, express their deeply held beliefs that we should ignore celebrities and that they can all fuck off for all Except Fox when they come on Fox. Except when there's one who might agree with them a little yep. bit. Then they become the biggest star fuckers on the planet. Uh-huh. See West, Kanye. Uh, and Dennis Miller, in addition to, by the way, just the, are we going to have to do an episode about the Kanye saga at some point? It feels like we might have to. Kevin, we don't have to do anything. It's our oh, show. I know. I just feel like I want to. <laughs> yeah, okay. That's different. Use your words. Be clear. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and Dennis Miller, in addition to starting his own radio show and filling in for Hannity or O'Reilly on their radio shows pretty regularly, which I used to listen to, right? I listened to Hannity all the time uh, back when I was a mechanic. Uh, the only thing I really remember from Dennis Miller ever being on was one time when Dennis Miller was guest hosting and he got really upset when a caller made a sarcastic remark about how the best part of the movie, The Net, which he was in, is the part where his character died. Cool. <laughs> he got really mad about that. Uh, but Dennis started making regular appearances on O'Reilly and other Fox shows uh, that continue to today. Obviously, O'Reilly's not on the network anymore, but Dennis Miller still pops up from time to time. Um, and it's not really surprising that his he would you know work that angle so hard since he alienated ninety percent of the people who enjoyed him before with this hard right turn. Um, and where you know he may have had some chops before, it really seems like now he's sort of devolved into the standard right wing hack comedian mold, but with a thesaurus <laughs> like here. And the EPA is now going after, at least in L.A. County, wood-burning stoves and fireplaces. Not allowed to build them anymore. We're going after fire. <laughs> I mean, are you... That's it. So, the, am I that right? That was supposed am to be I the right? laugh line. Am I right? That was supposed to be the laugh line. Yeah. The things that separated us out from the apes originally. <laughs> Watch out, wheel and standing upright. I mean, come on. Yeah, we don't need any more of Dennis Miller than that. Yeah, that seems right. He's gotten kind of boring and lazy. Of course, he actually did a tour with O'Reilly. I think he did a series of tours with O'Reilly. I refuse to watch those. You can't make me. I am not watching Bill O'Reilly. You are very weird about what you will and won't watch. (laughs) I got enough Bill O'Reilly in my youth when my dad would have it on the TV every single night, I don't need to watch any more O'Reilly. Fair enough. I really don't need any more of that. But back to Fox. So in 2007, 
Andrew Levy, a libertarian blogger, uh, struck up a friendship with then Huffington Post writer Greg Gutfeld, okay. uh, a fake libertarian, aspiring fascist, and aspiring comedian commentator, I guess. Mm -hmm. uh, and the friendship resulted in Andrew being asked to join Greg on his new Fox News show, Red Eye, which was going to air at 2 a.m. Eastern, Monday through Saturday. Okay. Uh, and along with Levy, the show included Bill Schultz, an assistant editor of Stuff Magazine, which Greg had been the editor-in-chief of from 2000 to 2003, uh, and Rachel Marsden, a conservative Toronto Sun writer. The show was very loosely run mm. and had regular guests like Amy As Schumer, is everything as at 2 a.m. Yeah, Everything I mean, at 2 a.m. is very loosely run. Understandable. Uh, had guests like Amy Schumer, uh, Jim Norton, Tom Shalou, Jedediah Bila, and, of course, fascist gang leader Gavin McInnes, which is where I first learned about Gavin, uh, who was doing his usual edgelord shtick, although, as you have mentioned, he wasn't as much of an overt fascist at the time. Found advice! I don't know if you said that to try and defend me for liking the show that, back yeah, then. Yeah, it was that. I wasn't, okay, trying, to I wasn't trying to hand it to that. Gavin McInnes. <laughs> I have fully admitted I was a proto-fascist back yeah. in the day. No well, he, he he found, I know he's always been shit, but he did found Vice. Like Yes, and we all know how well Vice has gone. Look, you know, Vice like for, has its qualities. For the No, I, I'm with you. For the record, like, and the thing you always have to keep in mind, right, is that people make news, not companies, right? Yeah. Vice is a shitty company that throughout its history has hired a whole lot of really incredible journalists. Yep. They've, like, stumbled backwards into people who just, you know, even that guy who just takes a bunch of drugs and posts YouTube videos about yep. it. It's uh, cool. That's it's good investigative shit. journalism. Yeah. But they, you know, so, you know, Vice, whatever, shitty company, shitty leadership, but a lot of the people there have done really incredible work, and it's really sad to see uh, the company go through, you know, cutting a shitload of its workforce and mm -hmm. whatnot with bankruptcy and everything. Anyways. So it had all these guests, had Gavin and McInnes, and it was an edgy show for Fox, probably mainly because nobody was really watching at 2 a.m., except for me, right? Yep. I, I would record Red Eye to watch the next day, um, including such great bits as this one, which I did watch live or the next day after recording it when it happened. Gavin McInnes and the son of Jimmy McInnes. He's a progressive liberal activist, Miles McInnes. He's author of the new book, Bush Lied, Babies Cried, and a Panda Died. Uh, Miles. It's uh, Gavin McInnes wearing a scarf and pretending cool. he's his, his leftist younger brother or something. Good to have you here. How's Thank your you. brother doing? Thank you very much. Yeah. Who cares? Who cares? <laughs> yeah. Uh, shouldn't there be another tween rapping about the economic benefits of fracking so there's some kind of balance? Uh, I don't think there is a balance for the fracking debate. I think that it's pretty clear that injecting chemicals into Mother Earth is going to be problematic, <laughs> especially when we inject so many chemicals that tap water bursts into flames. So, yeah, maybe kids should be made aware of this. We're turning water into fire. That's like Jesus in reverse. Well, what do you get these facts? <laughs> what do you mean? Go look it up. They can light their top water on fire what because it, of fracking. Who? Who? Matt People Damon. People in the Northeast. That's never happened. Daryl Hannah. Where do you get this idea that they can, they're can they setting fire to their You've never water. seen people... So you can see pretty clearly there how the politics is taking a backseat to comedy. Or comedy's taking a backseat yeah, to around. politics there. The whole bit is set up and they go Hot through... Hot shit. It's hack Gavin shit. is throwing out things about fracking and oil, and Gavin, I mean, uh, uh, Gavin, uh, Greg, has right in front of him, like, the counterpoints he's supposed to use 
and it's not great. It's really... And for the record, there was plenty on Red Eye that was actually funny. Uh, Andy Levy, I thought, was, was decently funny. He was like the ombudsman who would come out halfway through the show and correct things that people said that were incorrect many okay. times just with right-wing talking points that were themselves incorrect. Mm. But he's actually decently funny, uh, and plenty of the guests who came on were great. The non-political bits were plenty funny. They had a guy on who was like a correspondent who won a season of Last Comic Standing at some point and is now still, to this day, hanging around Greg Gutfeld. The, the issue is not um, what they could have had if they just tried to create a comedy show on a conservative network that just shared the same universe with its viewers. Mm -hmm. That could have worked. Uh, Bill Schultz, by the way, too, who was on there, was a funny guy, although he was uh, a token liberal uh, and later wrote for the Daily Beast. The problem was Fox's purpose, which is to push far-right propaganda. Mm -hmm. And I think that relates to the state of conservative comedy. Uh, the writers of the book That's Not Funny talk about Fox as a clearinghouse or a big box store for right-wing comedy. And I don't know if that's the right word exactly, but it's close enough for I, I get what they mean by it. Okay. Fox News provides an indicia of acceptability for its audience in the people that it chooses to promote. Mm -hmm. The Fox News seal of approval. On that's like true. I mean, that, that's essentially true of like, you know, mainstreaming of anybody, though. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's, oh, yeah. every every cable network, I would say, cable network, I would say, does that. Right. So, you know, the stamp of approval on Dennis Miller lets him still sell out banquet halls for... 60-year-old audiences who just want to have something that feels like a little bit of the past that they're used to and repeating those same right-wing gripes they're used to hearing every moment of every day from all the media they consume in the right-wing bubble. Mm -hmm. um, the majority of media and culture does belong to the left, or at least the nominal center-left, right? The big networks have always aimed center-left because it attracts the largest audiences. A conservative can still typically enjoy a nominally liberal sitcom because the lack of homophobia or misogyny is not something that's going to be noticed by them. Mm -hmm. While the presence of that would alienate a large part of the left audience. And at the same time, culture has kept progressing. And to some extent, the Overton window has progressed so that, for example, in more recent times, actual gay characters can be featured in one of the most popular sitcoms on TV, like Modern Family. Mm -hmm. Now you're at a point where the presence of these characters and their acceptance does drive away a right-wing audience who want to find a new entertainment to replace what they no longer watch. Mm -hmm. And uh, in steps Fox News and others to fill that gap, which I think helps explain why post-2000-ish and certainly post-2010, we see the rise of these right-wing comedians, many of them filtered through Fox News with the stamp of acceptability, and many of them learning Fox's methods along the way, right? politicize everything being the primary one I think is relevant mm -hmm. here. No. Go ahead. It's okay. No, I was just going to say, and that's where a normal person would end the show. And but tease not us. the next part of the show. But not how us. much? Uh, how much of your outline have you got left? Because I'm not doing another hour on this. I've only got two pages left. Okay, perfect. Yeah. That's fine. Yeah. Uh, and everyone started getting in on this act, right? The Babylon Bee was founded in March 2016 by a guy named Adam Ford. Uh, and in its earlier days, it was really just, like, Christian in-jokes. Yeah, it's they weren't... They definitely didn't start as what they are now. Like, they, right. they were, it was like a Catholic satire. It's, well, its main targets were... I think it was, like, more, you know, uh, Protestant. I don't know if it was mainly Catholic. But, like, it, its main targets were Christians. And is that funny to me? No. 
But for people in those groups who maybe get the premises, I'm sure it's chuckle-worthy. Like, there was one uh, that's highlighted, like, on their Wikipedia page, which I even found, found funny, right? In 2017, after Hurricane Harvey, they posted an article titled, quote, Joel Osteen sails luxury yacht through flooded Houston to pass out copies of Your Best Life Now, which is a fine joke. That's good. I like that's that. a fine joke. Also, Joel Osteen sucks, so that's punching yeah, up. That's good. Exactly. But in 2018, uh, Adam, uh, was it Adam? Adam Ford, right? That's what yeah. I said, found it. I'm pretty mm-hmm. sure. Yeah, Adam Ford uh, sold the Babylon Bee to Seth Dillon, who I cannot find any information about before he bought the Babylon Bee. I did not know it was weird. sold. It's, it's very weird to me that I don't know anything about this guy. If anyone can find an article about him or something, please send it to me because I am interested in where the fuck Seth Dillon came from because I don't know. But he definitely is the one who took it in the direction we now know it is taken mm-hmm. with the one joke and everything. Um, I'm not going to make you suffer through any more Babylon B videos. Thank you. God bless. We watched a whole Go listen to it. That was a fun episode there. Go listen yeah. to it if you haven't already. And even our good friends at Prager, you have tried to get on the right wing comedy jam. Uh, Seth Dillon, of course, we watched the video that he did for Prager U mm-hmm. on comedy. It was not great. But they have had earlier videos about comedy that were posted on Prager U. Um, this one, which is titled Comedy Feels Dead, What Killed It, for example. Three white men walk into a bar. Oh, fuck. You're a racist. Is that a Do you say that because of the joke or because you know who this is? <laughs> I, the voice I recognize. So okay. like, uh... Joke? In today's hypersensitive world, it's hard to know what's funny anymore. And as someone who makes his living as a comedian, yeah. that's a big problem. Do you? Do you? I'm not going to reveal who it is yet. Okay. Hold it back. Okay. Do you? Ask Jerry Seinfeld. He's announced he won't play college campuses. He doesn't want to deal with all the political correctness. Yeah, because he's not funny anymore. he's not exactly edgy. Sorry. Okay. The other reason is because his girlfriend might be mistaken for someone who goes there. (laughs) You know, you're mistaking college for high school. (laughs) Comedy is important. Why? Because it's a pressure valve that allows us to discuss uncomfortable truths in a friendly way. Laughs are better than punches. I don't think the point of comedy sure. is to avoid punching. I've never thought of comedy that way. You know, whatever. But identity politics is killing the gag. How many times have you heard someone say something like this? You're not black, so you don't know what it's like to be me. Zero times. You're I mean, a man, so you can't have an opinion about any issues affecting women. Zero times, because yeah. that is the right-wing trope of how people act. I mean, people do oh. say it, but, like, who cares? You can still say what you want. Sure. As a left-handed pansexual leprechaun, oh, only up. I really know about elevator safety. That's a shit Comedy joke. only... Beyond anything else, that is a shit joke. Some, like, uh, some people think non-sequiturs are funny. That's it. Works when we agree on certain realities. Take this joke. Why do you always go fishing with at least two Baptists? Because if you only take one, he'll drink all your beer. So fu- Sorry, was funny. that his example of a funny joke? That was his example of a joke. The reason this gets a laugh is because most of us recognize that many religious people are a little more religious around other religious people. That hypocrisy is funny because is, everyone is can relate to beer it on reli- some level. Unreligious? We're all little hypocrites. Is drinking beer unreligious? Like, wh- why, why, I, I, get, what, I, don't, what? I don't know. Critical now and then. 
The problem is that today, fewer and fewer people seem to agree on the basics. You know, shared assumptions. I recently did a joke on stage. People keep comparing Donald Trump to Adolf Hitler. He's nothing like Hitler. Hitler would have never let CNN talk like that. Anderson Cooper wouldn't have made it through the night of the long knives. There are people that don't understand that joke. Oh boy. Um, we understand it. It's just a bad joke. You just brought up the fact that a gay man would have been murdered by the Nazis and yeah. you're calling it humor. That's, mm. I mean, and yeah. the reason, no, 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 this last little bit here and then we'll move on. Is that joke requires us all to agree and stick with me here that Hitler was a bad, bad man. So the reason why the left didn't get that joke is because we don't agree that Hitler is a bad, bad man. Bennett, do you want to tell us who was delivering that video? I actually think that Hitler was a bad, 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 bad man. So ah, he's right. Yeah. I don't think he was a bad, bad man. What's the guy's name? I know the voice, but I don't know the name. Owen Benjamin, Bennett. Fuck, yeah. Owen Benjamin. And that video, by the way, has been removed from PragerU's website cool. and YouTube page. Probably for things that Owen has said that sound like this. See, this is the thing. The Jews aren't going to win, guys. Not only are they not going to win, this happens over and over and over again in history. Right now, they are ending. They're at the end of their delusional um, fantasy. Yeah, Owen Benjamin is a neo-Nazi white supremacist. Yep. Vox Day appearing. Yep, that's it. Who, that's who cool. once, once said that Adolf Hitler was trying to clean Germany. Clean it of the parasites ah, of the fleas. So you so, might say that Owen Benjamin didn't agree that Hitler was a bad, bad man then. You might say that. And you know, looking at it through that lens, it might explain why we disagree on the joke. It might actually explain why we didn't think the joke was funny. But not for the reasons I think he said in that video. Uh, yeah, it's he's not exactly relevant much to the topic of today, except in as much as it demonstrates the point that sort of the combination of edgelordization of these comedians and the far right, uh, the right in general, playing footsie with open white nationalism has led to a number of <laughs> not just like the Owen. comedians. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> they just made it all over the place. And that, Benedict, brings us to the last thing we're going to talk about. Today. Amazing. The right's new comedy showcase of note. Gutfeld! Gutfeld! Gutfeld. So, Greg Gutfeld, who we've talked about a lot, so I'll just give the basics, yeah. was born in San Mateo, California, and attended Junipero Serra High School, and then went on to graduate from my alma mater, UC we know. Berkeley. We Kevin went to Berkeley. In 1987, with a degree in English. We are all ashamed of him, I assure you. Yeah. Uh, he began his career at the American Spectator, which had been uh, right around the time that David Brock was there, mm. uh, running dirty tricks for uh, Richard Mellon Scaife, who was using the magazine for his Arkansas project. Uh, he then moved on to Prevention Magazine, which I had never heard of, and then Men's Health, uh, eventually becoming the editor-in-chief of Men's Health, only to move on to Stuff Magazine, and finally Maxim UK, and then eventually That's becoming a, a Huff, one, of the, one of the original Huffington Post contributors, uh, as we talked about before getting Red Eye, and has been a Fox News employee ever since 2007 when Red Eye began. He's also a regular on the Fox show The Five, yep. uh, and has written several books, uh, one of which I have right here, Kay. called How to Be Right, the back of which reads, <clears throat> To survive, the right must learn how to express non-liberal principles as effectively as possible and persuade others to their point of view. 
It is an art that demands patience, research, humor, understanding, creative thinking, learning from your opponents, and even mimicking their tactics. It's cool. It's great. It's great stuff. Um, it's not. It's it's supposed to be a funny book, but it's it's not really that funny. I've it, never just... enjoyed books written by comedians, even good comedians. I just I can't get into. Funny I mean, books. I I enjoyed Patton's uh, book, Silver Screen Fiend, which is really just about movies. Uh, not so much intending to be, you know, comedy all the way through. Uh, but uh, I think that might be the only book written by a comedian. I've well, okay, I did back in the day, going back to what I said about how me and my brother did not know if Stephen Colbert was a comedian or not. We had the book that Stephen Colbert put out during that time period. I don't remember what it was. But still, even after reading it, we couldn't figure out whether he was actually a conservative. <laughs> that's good. That's a good. That's the mark of a good satire. Uh, apparently is. So, um... <clears throat> Uh, uh, Gutfeld began as the Greg Gutfeld Show, which aired uh, Saturday and Sunday nights on Fox uh, at 10 p.m. from 2015 to 2021. So when the network decided it wanted its own version of a late-night talk show, they went to the person they thought was the funniest guy in the office, Greg, and offered him the slot every weeknight at 11 p.m. And I do have to say, it's a lot less like a late-night show and more like an episode of The Five on Weekends. I can't describe mm. it really as okay. anything other than that. Like, they just have occasional skits or bits thrown in to give it, like, the feel of comedy without actually doing, like, anything that a late-night show would actually do. Like this, for example. Mock it and move on. So that's like the the bit, mock it and move on is okay. supposed to be like the thing, the, like the game you would do on a late night show. That's mm-hmm. what they're doing. Let's see how that turns out. Time for mock it and move on. First up, the popular cooking competition show, the Great British Bake Off. By the way, all the clips <laughs> going of going woke and Nixon. All the clips of Gutfeld are from like two weeks ago, which is when I wrote this portion of the episode. Okay. So that's what they're mostly from. Country themed weeks in the okay, new season because viewers were. Uh huh. You know Did the you... controversy. I do. Did you see the Mexican week that they had? No, I didn't. It was extremely offensive. <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> like, as someone I, I who's normally like. Memes. Ah. I remember the memes that were going around about Mexican week. I remember as, seeing that. As someone who's normally like, ah, is that offensive or is that just white people being offended on their behalf? Uh-huh. It, like, no. That, like, it felt very, like, uncomfortable to me. Uh huh. Um, just like, yeah. Because, like, people don't know anything about Mexican food in the UK. And it's like a real like, <laughs> understandable. Well, yeah, but there's no Mexican people really. Like it's one of the few countries you never conquered and took all the spoils from. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, it's just like this is like wild, like exotic world to them, and so I think they just hadn't even considered that it might be racist to show up in a poncho and a <laughs> uh, a sombrero. Um, uh, which yeah, fantastic stuff. Yeah, we're offended by racial jokes, stereotypes, cultural inaccuracies, and past episodes. (laughs) Andrew, I always like hearing these stories about people were offended, and you never know who these people are, right? Right? It's just like they were mad about the Japan week or something. Who actually has the time to get mad over this stuff? I mean, from a culinary perspective, I was mad because, like, when it was Japan week, everybody made chow mein and lo mein. Yes. Right. So, so there's like a celebrity chef or something who's on this episode. That's who that is. Andrew Gruel. Cruel? Okay. Is that 
Wait, is it really Gruel? Oh shit, it's Andrew Gruel. No That's way. a bad name for That's a show. That's gonna be a pen name. Uh, but yeah, and he's just like, no, nah, there was there was some issues with it, and yeah. it, it, Greg doesn't take it well. It's like, come on, right? Yeah. And and the hosts were behind this as well. First of all, nobody should be hosting a food show except me. I mean, right. let's just make that clear. Uh, so that's first and foremost. But the hosts were really bad on this. They thought they were funny, but you know, some of their jokes weren't great. But the hosts themselves, you know, they even said that the most exotic they got when it came to food was actually having lunch at Panda Express. So I just don't think there was much, you know, diversity of thought I, that went into this. I was so disappointed. So I he's just think like, that happened on Great British Bake Off. We don't have Panda Express. Well, no, it was a he was referencing the Japan week that they did on Great British Break. Yeah, but we don't have Panda Express, so why would they make a joke about Panda Express? Well, no, that was him doing it. He's using his own frame of reference to come up with the mm. joke, and Panda Express is a big thing in the U.S., right? But that's not... Okay, the segment is called Mock It and Move On, Yeah, Benedict. they're not mocking it. That, what's going on? No. It's, yeah, this is, this is part of the problem with Gutfeld that I yep. experienced very quickly, is they don't seem to understand... Their own what, premises and bits. Exactly! Um, and they do have, it seems to me, like a semi-regular cast. Because every TV, every episode I looked at, except like a couple, had Tyrus on it, who is the former NWA wrestler who's made a career being on like every Fox show. Mm. And basically just to make people who don't watch Fox go, who the fuck is that? Like all the time. <laughs> who is that large man? And this is, of course, despite the fact that he was accused of sexual harassment uh, by the co-host of his Fox Nation show, UnPC, uh, cool. Britt McHenry. So I'm sure that's uh, he'll be he'll be on the network for a long time to come. Uh, and it is not funny even to the audience. Like if you listen to these clips, we yeah, there's we a lot of laugh breaks and applause lines that don't happen. We keep joking about how they never laugh during the laugh breaks. And it's, oh my god, it's a fucking real thing. I've watched so many hours of Gutfeld now. They never laugh when they're supposed to laugh. It's insane. Like you can hear in this clip. do what i want happy no you can't you can't make them laugh dickhead scenic new york now's the time of year where leaves start to fall on the homeless people (laughs) and along with the smells of skunk weed and rotting drug addicts the sidewalks have added seasonably appropriate pumpkin spice urine (laughs) autumn is in the air in a few weeks electric car fires will keep people warm (laughs) but as a new election approaches that must mean it's hunting season pause it this relies on so much previously known information. Like, I'm aware of, like, the electric car fire stuff because I know that it, like, is pushed a lot by the likes of, like, all the conservative online. Yeah. Like, I know that every time an electric car fire happens, they write about it and it, yep. like, resonates with their audience, whatever. But, like, if I didn't know that, that's just not funny. Well, and, and that comes back to the subjectivity issue. And it just requires issue. so much previously known information. It requires you to be actively plugged into the uh, to the ecosystem. I think it's more than previously known information. I think we've talked about before uh, how how the right uses epithets, mm-hmm. literally like like the Iliad or Odyssey type yep. Greek epithets, and I think that's one of those things. All these things have been ingrained in them so much that they are supposed to react in a certain way when they hear those phrases. Mm-hmm. That is that is what that is. 
you know, the reference to piss on the sidewalks. They have talked so much about San Francisco, New York, whatever, any city. It's just uh, the sidewalks are covered in the shit and piss of the homeless. That's the way it is. That's that's just it's ingrained at this yep. point. Yeah, it's very weird. Uh, so, and, and that's where I wanted to make another point about right wing comedy or the audience rather, right? So earlier I rejected the studies that say that conservatives don't have a sense of humor or less of one, which I do. I reject those. But besides the subjective sense of humor thing I've talked about, their sense of humor is different than ours. It, based on everything I can tell, it's less developed. It is literally juvenile. And I think that... <laughs> they are Neanderthals. We are highly evolved. They are... <laughs> well... <laughs> I, I think it makes sense, given that part of the right's entire thing is a rejection of nuance and reality and an overwhelming belief in the certainty of their principles, right? If humor is based off subverting expectations and surprise, in the political arena, what is there left to laugh at when there's no hyperbole available to you? Because all the places you could take exaggerations about your political enemies— you literally believe most of those things. Mm. You literally believe that Hillary is eating children's faces and drinking their blood. Some people might, yes. Some people, you obviously, I'm exaggerating now for comedic effect, but Didn't work. most of the, you know, most of the exaggerations they could take are literally believed by their audience. Mm. They literally believe that Hillary Clinton uh, sold uranium to Russia as yep. a traitor. To the, all this stuff, they literally believe it. And so there's not very many places to go. So what's left to laugh at? Funny noises, callbacks to movie and TV. They I like, do love a funny noise, to be fair. Everyone loves a funny noise. Yeah. And you'll hear the Jim Brewer clip when we get off this episode. It's simplistic. And they've been so successfully politicized by Fox. I mentioned earlier, right, one of their stat uh, strategies is everything is political, right? Mm -hmm. If a child running a lemonade stand is on Fox News, it's to point out that the left hates this and wants to confiscate the lemonade money or something. That's the only reason why that would make it on the show. Everything has to be political. Mm -hmm. And like just by way of example, if you just go to YouTube and just search for Gutfeld and look through the list of titles that they put that they put on their videos, like every none of them are, are comedy video titles. Everything is political, like right here in front of me. Wokeism is a contagion. That's the title of a video. New Hilarious. York City may take down statues of historical figures. Um, uh, who in their right mind would take their job? It's about the San Francisco Police Department. Joy, Joyanne Reed, or no, Joy Behar, loves to run her mouth. Uh, it's now hunting season on Republicans. This, all of it's political. The comedy is an afterthought. Mm -hmm. Comedy has to be an afterthought because it can't get in the way of the political. And to emphasize that, Benedict, we just have two more clips to finish okay. off the episode today. I know you're very excited to hear that we are near done. <laughs> I'm just, honestly, I'm just hungry. Like, that's <laughs> mostly what it is. Uh, this is from a segment on Gutfeld titled, There is a Civil War at Cinnabon. No, there isn't. Happy Monday, everybody! Oh, you look fantastic. So tonight, I want to talk about a fascinating story right out of Los Angeles, a place where your yard is someone else's campground. 911 calls are answered Again, no laughs! No laughs! That was definitely a break for laughter, yeah. but there was no laughs. Customer service, and the governor looks like a diehard villain. 
But now there's a huge strike. Is there an audience? Jesus Christ. Is it because Gavin slicks his hair back? Yeah. Is that why he's supposed to look like a diehard bill? Okay. Going on. That could affect a business that's near and dear to all of us, which means... There's a civil war at Cinnabon. And it's delicious. Well, wait, what'd you think I was talking about? The writer's strike? <laughs> I mean, do you people even care? When you no. have these woke rebels... That, okay, and then I get... <laughs> I get an ad for Hillsdale College that pops up and yeah. interrupts that's right exactly. where I was going to end it anyway, luckily. Okay. But that's... You, 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 what the fuck is going what, on? What is the Civil War the, at The Cinnabon? story was that uh, uh, some Cinnabon employees went on strike because the franchise banned pride uh, flags. Oh, good. Good for them. Uh, which Greg called a political statement. It's it's not. Fuck you. Uh, but anyways, that's that one. Uh, here is our last clip of Gutfeld, Benedict, for you, titled, These Disney Pictures Are Embarrassing. I tell you, it scares me. God knows how this is going to turn out. Happy Tuesday, everyone, and what a great Tuesday it is. So SAG-AFTRA, the union for actors, claims that their profession is about as dead as a critic of Hillary Clinton. <laughs> it all has to... See, there's the... It's the epithet. Yep. Hillary, Cl Hillary, Hillary Clinton. Hillary Clinton murderer. But the problem is they literally believe that she has had her political enemies murdered. Yes. That's the problem with that being a joke. And it, that is a problem with it, yes to do with AI replacing real live actors, which seems redundant, of course. Replacing Hollywood actors with artificial intelligence is like replacing Vin Diesel with Vin Diesel. <laughs> but remember, they've done worse. They once replaced humans. I, I honestly, I, I, here's a question I have. If anyone has worked on Gutfeld, do you not have audience microphones? Like in most late night shows, there are microphones you, meant pe to you pick can up hear the audience people clap. You can hear you, people clap and cheer. But I, uh, even the point is, Benedict, the point is, even they apparently don't think it's that funny. But Gutfeld Well, do you know has, what it is? The, the thing is, the funnier lines don't fit into the weird... Stilted delivery, trying to get to the political point. Yeah, exactly. So like, they, yeah. but but the audience, the lines that I think are funnier, the audience doesn't think is funny because it doesn't fit into their worldview. Whereas mm -hmm. the lines that are funny to the audience are so deeply unfunny to me, and also apparently the audience because they're not laughing either. So, <laughs> but Gutfeld has, as you've mentioned, smashed the ratings. Uh, it is the highest rated uh, late night TV show on television. Yeah, I, but is I, that because people correct. fall asleep watching uh, Hannity? That might be part of it. Like, that might indeed be part of it. Is that because old people just literally fall asleep and are like, ah. But the bigger part of it, and the thing, uh, thing I always point out, is Fox is the most watched cable network on television. Yeah, because that, everything else is more politically aligned. Yeah, everything else is more diffuse. Anyone who isn't a hard right, far right shitbag has any number of options cnn abc nbc you know msnbc whatever they want to watch they could watch any one of those uh when it comes to late night there's fallon kimmel what's the other one colbert right there's three other options if you add those ones up the three of them together get more viewers than gutfeld does 
but it's a fact that he is the only option for people who are seeking a particular right-wing view of the world to go to that makes him the most watched late-night show on television. So at the end of this, I think we have to reflect on what the conservative comedy audience, I think, is looking for, which in turn is driving what they get delivered. And we do have to recognize, right, Fox News shaped those expectations to begin with as far as what they're looking for. And I think we can say that it looks like what the conservative audience wants is edgelord hate-filled news distortions with a guy who talks kind of funny sometimes. That appears to sort of be the desire. Am I incorrect about <laughs> that? that? Is, that's the pl- platonic ideal of conservative <laughs> comedy. Yeah, no, no. Greg Gutfeld is just a shadow on the wall. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, that seems to be what they're looking for. And to go back to uh, the Some More News video about conservative comedy that I mentioned uh, earlier in an earlier episode that people should watch, um, it's a good overview. They make a point in that video that the reason why so many Donald Trump parodies didn't work is that they don't have anything to say. They just sort of repeat the things we don't like about Trump, but exaggerated. And that's not really all that funny. There's no Especially when Trump is that. such an exaggerated character in himself like it's right. this, like is this parody anymore or is this just repeating what he says right and at the end of all this right spending months immersing myself in conservative comedy for reasons i still cannot explain it seems like that strategy doesn't work for us but it does work for the right for some reason listing people they hate in a funny voice and repeating talking points appears to be enough so benedict uh i have to end off the show today for you I lied about the number of videos. Why would you lie to me? One final Evil. video. I Evil. promised. It's a treat. You're worse than Gutfeld. Benedict, it's a treat. Okay. Because in 2004, Doug Stanhope, a stand-up comedian, performed in Austin, Texas. Okay. And Doug Stanhope is not a right-wing comedian. No. He's an atheist PETA supporter who's pro-choice and pro-drug legalization. Uh, he has libertarian connections and endorsed Gary Johnson at one point, but he's not a conservative comedian, especially in his act. The comedy mm-hmm. comes first. But in 2004, Benedict, Alex Jones opened for him at That's Cap City weird. Comedy Club in Austin, Texas. Okay. And it's fucking insane. Okay. So here you go. I will last 30 seconds. We have a very, very special guest. Uh, he's going to come out here. He's going to talk to you. Then he's going to bring up Dougie. Uh, I am a huge fan of his. Uh, it's really it's an honor okay. to bring him up here. Uh, please keep it going. For the Lord of Conspiracy, Alex Jones, everybody. I feel sorry for you. I mean, you came out here to have a good time, and here's some great comics. And believe me, you've heard of that last guy was absolutely amazing. Yeah. Doug's, Doug's great, too. He's a, well, he's a degenerate atheist, but other than that, he's a pretty good guy. No, but seriously. Uh, no, but seriously, <laughs> but seriously folks. But seriously, <laughs> folks. Sorry, I didn't realize he, Alex Jones was doing a best man I've heard a lot of stuff about Iraq, and I've heard some other comments about politics, and Let's just go over some basic stuff here for a minute, okay? This is not a drill! This is some serious shit! You always know it's a great bit when the comic screams at the audience that this is real, man! How fucked up do you think Alex Jones was at this point? Oh, so he's been an alcoholic for many years. I'm sure he was very drunk. Uh, I'm sure he was not exactly sober for this performance. 
I've got the film clip of Eisenhower back in 1958 calling Fidel Castro the Abraham Lincoln of the Caribbean. Maybe he is. But my point is, they put that motherfucker in power. They put him in there. He's forgotten he's supposed to be doing stand-up, and he's just doing he one He started pretty funny. Show. He started, like, at least self-aware, and now he's, like, a minute he's in, he's like... So the thing about Fidel Castro is... It's not just him. It's everybody. It's Ho Chi Minh. It's Mao Zedong. It's Manuel Noriega. It's Osama bin Laden. It's Saddam Hussein. It's the Shah. It's the... They build them up, they knock them down, and I P watch pause them it. stick our troops in. This is the funniest comedy we watched so far. It is, but also, do you know what the other thing is, and you know why it's funny? Why? It's because he's not wrong. <laughs> These meat grinders. And it's all admitted, you know, I'm the weirdo who sits there and watches the C-SPAN documentaries, where they've got the 85... C-SPAN doesn't do documentaries. No. <laughs> Your old CIA section chief, you know, who back in 1950 goes, well, actually, the CIA was behind Mao and we put him into power. Of course, I already knew that, but now these these bastards are admitting it. Mao Zedong killed 50 million people. I, I feel like the audience is for laughter. The, the audience is pulled back a bit. I I am feeling that he's lost lost the audience. I think a they're bit. afraid of him. Yeah, I would be too. You don't need to scream into the mic, Alex. That's fine. It's all good. I think that's enough. I think you can put it in the show notes. I will say he's wrong about us putting communists in power. We what, never did was that. I, was we, <laughs> Was I right that that was a treat to end that, off the that, show? That, that was something. Um, <laughs> yep. So, you know, better than anything else we've listened to. So, <laughs> I love it so much. Okay, put it in the show notes. People watch themselves. Yes, they will be in there if you want to take a look at it. But thank you all for listening. We hope you enjoyed the show. Remember, if you just can't get enough of us, you can go over to patreon.com forward slash mygbc and become a patron for as little as $1 an episode for patron-only episodes, shout-outs on the show, early releases of our episodes, and more. As always, we have to give a shout-out to our wonderful and amazing patrons. Dan L., Jamie Fritz, Teach Peace, Chi Wizzle, The Ghost of Larry Nichols, Jacob Johnson, Danny Rosari, A Wee Woo Thing, New Buildings Are a Globalist Conspiracy, Carrie Conrison, Bobo D. Bear, Chili, Madeline and Zachary Wilson Vetro, Stephen DeBeau, Torian DeGallant, Raptor Princess vs. the Shadow Wolves. Runak Seti, Amy Kaiser, Sean Sullivan, Lauren S. I've never listened to your podcast any slower than 1.3x speed. Oh, Benedict, what art thou, Bright Spot? <laughs> 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 uh, Flack Weasel. Such a wherefore art thou, bright spot. <laughs> uh -huh. uh, Kieran Dackler. Join us next week when our guest will be Robert F. Kennedy Jr., Henry Louis King Jr., Sarah Wolf, Aaron Burke, Megan A. Dooley, Gloria Scott, Clifton Stuckey, Pause, Arrestless Native, A Baby, Wah, Veronica Forker, Melissa C., George Saulnier, Stefan, Wacky Wednesday Adams, Utah Outcast, Dave Barwick, Chris Palmer, Bad Bible Stitches, Mockingbird Nation, Benjamin Carlisle, Dexter, Allison, Megan Ruth, Glowrung the Deceiver, Big Easy Blast Me, Jay Reynolds, Stephen, and Cindy Dimmick, Taru Takanen, and Balls Waterson. Thank you all, as always, for being our patrons. Oh, my That's God. such a long list now. I made Jesus it through the whole God. list. <laughs> I made it through the whole list. Oh, my God.
It that's took several, so and that's cool. It's good that this <laughs> takes most of the show to read out the fucking patron list. Thank you all, as always, for being our patrons. That's it for this week's show. Till next time, mouth say tongue! Goodbye. Goodbye. podcast is a production of Kevin and Benedict Productions. Copyright 2020. All rights reserved. Music for this podcast is by Silverman Sound Studios. Find out more at silvermansound.com.